Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I remember how it used to be. The phone's ringing off the hook. Clients are coming in the front door like crazy. And here comes little technician Timmy. Timmy comes up and he says, hey boss, where's my part? Where you want me to go next? What you want me to do? Gosh, Timmy, if I knew, I'd tell you, buddy, but I am covered up. All of that stopped when I found Shopware. With Shopware, you get an industry-leading expediter right there in the software. It tells you if your parts are here, where your technician should go next, and how much time they have left to complete the jobs in the day. Go to GetShopware.com to learn more. GetShopware.com. Hey, everybody. David here, and welcome to the ASOG Podcast. This is part two of our conversation with industry veteran Jeff Compton. So as always, don't forget to set this podcast to automatically download the latest episode, leave us a review on your favorite podcast player, and keep an eye out for new content on our YouTube channel. We just put out a few new items. And now, here we go. Yeah, because I can tell you up here, (laughs) often what they, so for instance, like I went to Algonquin College in Ottawa. That's where I did my trade certification training. Um, One of the very prominent, good reputation shops, independent shops in the um, area for Ottawa was Tap Automotive. Tap Automotive, so John Tap became the industry insider coordinator of the oversaw what he felt should go into the curriculum in from what I remember. I'm not, that's not, that's not a bad thing, but John Tapp's experience in John's tap shop is John Tapp's experience. It doesn't justify what everybody else is being faced in their day to day at the shop that they go at. And that's the problem is that, you know, a guy may work in a shop and they say anything to transmission, we don't touch it. Well, he still has to be in order to become certified and get the safety designation in his exam trade. He has to pass a component in the book that says he understands how a transmission works. He may no more be able to pull the tranny out and rebuild it, but he passed an exam saying he understands how it works. So again, to say that, if he never touches a transmission, he just works in a shop that does tires, brakes, front ends, you know, all day long. We're never going to allow him to get to the to the designated trade certification in the company because in the country because he doesn't get to touch a tranny. That's bullshit. 
That's ridiculous. So again, the specialization is important, but I mean, and the, the exams are too easy. There's too many guys that pass and get a certification that are not, they're, they're failing in the industry. They're failing because the, the curriculum is outdated and they're failing because there isn't enough hands-on to say, this is how you actually take what the scan tool is telling you and you put that next step in terms of diagnosing the car. Well, you know, and, and I say that I would hire somebody that came to me and brought me Paul Danner's book before I'd hire somebody that had an ASC certification, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Let's think about why that is for me. And it goes back to what we we're talking about with scopes, right? Yep. Like that base knowledge, because you think about Paul's Paul's material, where does it start? It starts at the very, very basics, how to read a wiring diagram, right? And and those tests are not able to capture that appropriately, and so the the thing is, is like you got somebody that's going out and taking Paul's entire course and going through it and actually doing mm-hmm. it. And now what do you have? You're looking back at a at a guy who is well-rounded. He can grab a voltmeter and tell you why that light bulb doesn't work. Right. right? And, and I, again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with going to a scope. There's a lot of things that my guys will go to a scope first that I can find with a voltmeter in minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, hey, why are you starting there? And it's because there is a lack of basic understanding. And so, you know, I, I, I wouldn't think we say can... it's basic understanding. I think I think what Jeff was saying was was correct. I think guys fall in love with the diagnostic. That's process true. Of course. Or the they they the hype of it. The um yeah, I mean there's there's a certain level of hype to it, absolutely. But but I think they they want to hit a certain level of sophistication. So I, I've got a tech who loves his lab scope, and he pulls it out for almost everything. And we have an, an issue on a on a truck, four wheel drive problem, <laughs> and the the code was a little sketchy. And the, but what's your first? What's the first step in in the diagnostic process? Step one: uh, duplicate the complaint. Confer- yeah, com- com- confirm the complaint, the concern. Yes, step one. So after the, the technician had done that, it was obvious that this vehicle was not going into four-wheel drive, and it was throwing a code that the vehicle did not have when it arrived. The code w- meant th- was saying that the vehicle wasn't gonna, going into four-wheel drive. Now, the, the tech pulled out the lab scope, hooked it up to the sensor wires and this, that, and the other, and he, he thought he had a different transfer case. So it was, I'm not blaming him for the direction he went with. I probably would have went in that direction as well. But the much simpler test was to pull out the transfer case motor and see if the thing moves. Mm, right. Yeah. Like step, you know, pull it out, clear the code, put it in a four wheel drive. This stupid thing were. And if it doesn't, now I need to check it for power and ground and make sure that I'm getting a good signal and this, that, and the other. Now you pull out the, the, uh, the lab scope. Um, but that's not the direction that, and, and some time was wasted, but again, that was because the wrong transfer case was, was identified in the vehicle. And so mm-hmm. he was reading the wrong wiring diagram mm-hmm. and the code that it came with, came, the vehicle came in with like, led us down the wrong direction anyway, but that's where it becomes more of an issue. I don't think it's that they don't understand the, the systems or they don't understand the basics. I think they they want to go to that. They want to ratchet up to that higher level of sophistication immediately. So and almost look down at 
just pulling out a test light and checking. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. With a test. If I had that kind of snob, and I don't mean derogatory, but if I had somebody that looked down at somebody for pulling a test light out of a toolbox drawer because it wasn't a lab scope, I'd fire that tech. <laughs> just, that's just no, me. That's just and me. I, that that's you, yeah. uh, somebody who doesn't have to make sure that the shop is fully staffed. No, I understand. I'm not firing anybody over that. So there's, but here's this. So there was like again up here in Canada, and I, I referenced Ottawa. The other big metropolitan area in my province is Toronto. There was a shop, very well known gentleman. Um, Ken Robinson, I think is his name, Robinson Automotive. He had a little talk show that was on cable every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. People would phone in with questions about their cars and he would answer them. This is what I think you should need to do, right? That's the typical somebody went for free Diag and didn't get it, and he kind of was good. But he is known in Toronto area, and Toronto's, for all intents and purposes, the unofficial capital. It's the most dense area in the country of being one of the best shops in the city in terms of solving, fixing high-end cars, he dabbles in race cars. You name it, he does it. He is top notch. And he said that, and this is so five years ago, eight years ago, I heard him say this. In my shop, I have one, but it is not the first thing we grab because I've seen too many guys waste too much time with it when they didn't need to. He understood that it's important that you're proficient with it, that you can use it, that you can analyze what it's telling you and use it as proof. But it is not the first tool that he goes to grab for a lot of what goes in because it just doesn't have to, right? And that's not saying it's a bad tool. I'm just saying that when shop owners have, I mean, if you have nothing but light bulbs come in and you have 10 techs that fix electrical all day and they all grab a lab scope, gee, I'm going to, if we go head to head on who gets to diagnose faster and I give you 10 guys with a a test light, I'm going to beat you. Yeah, well, that's that's my point, is a, a good diagnostician can identify what's the most efficient way to diagnose this problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I get and a Honda that's my that point, has, too, is if you don't have base electrical knowledge, none well, of it makes not, sense. But I think no, the most no, efficient no, way I don't is think the it has one. anything to do. 
I don't think it has anything to do with base electrical knowledge. I have just base electrical knowledge and nothing past that. And I'm saying like, if a Honda comes in and the compressor's not kicking on, I'm not pulling the lab scope out. I'm pulling the relay, grabbing my, my scope on her open. I'm checking to make sure I got power. I got, do I have good ground? Can I activate the, the clutch? Yes or no, no. And I've got power going in. I've got a bad compressor clutch. I can diagnose it in, in minutes, mm-hmm. you know, two minutes maybe uh, is all I'm going to spend on it. And then I'm done. It's going to take me longer to get the lab scope out. However, I think there is a lot of utility and where I would disagree with this race car dude in Toronto is when you have multiple channels and you want to do on the car live voltage drop test on three different wires, having an eight channel scope, of course, incredibly useful mm-hmm. to pull that. And you're not going to dick around with a, with a voltmeter when you have this lab scope that you can check on point A, point B, point A, point B, three wires. You go drive the car. You've got all your, you've recorded, you pull it up and say, yep, there it is. I've got a one and a half volt drop on this wire. You've diagnosed it. Meanwhile, the other guy's got the voltmeter and he's, you know, pulling one wire at a time, checking it. And, and the, the scope guy is going to diagnose that faster. The point though, is that a highly skilled diagnostician is going to be able to identify the fastest way, the, yes, the I most agree. efficient I agree. test, regardless of knowledge. They both have the same level of knowledge, but the lab scope guy knows how to use his tool and he knows when to pull it out. And he's going to say, yeah, I can diagnose those because I've got three, four different wires that I need to test. I can do that with an eight-channel scope. Voltage drop test, check for power and ground, boom, one test. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So you guys wrong. Mm. What was that you were blabbering about the Toronto guy? Because, I mean, I, I don't <laughs> no, it's, I, I don't necessarily think he's wrong. I, I mean, agree I, that I can, that eight-channel scope on some cars that comes in is the only tool to reach for. But I mean, those are not. Uh, it's it's more often than you think. Okay, and, uh, again, I don't that's, no, that's, I that's, don't that's, think so. That's again, is it? I don't. Think that's so. again, is it what you're exposed I, I'm, to? I'm telling you, Lucas, it's probably like 70 percent of the time you can diagnose that car faster with a good eight channel scope. No, that is BS. That is absolute BS. I think I, you can you look, can find maybe the answer in the same amount of time, and then you spend the next twenty minutes just trying to get a better capture to like. I, I'm I'm over that shit. I mean, no, I, 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 no, look, no, I, you, look, you I'm hook just your, telling no, you. No, 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 you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> you, you hook, listen, you hook up, you hook up a scope and now all of a sudden, like you're fiddling with each little wire, right? Like you're going around, uh oh, uh, is, is that actually a good signal or did my wire come loose? Hang on, let me go make sure I'm back probed yeah, in that well. Let me make exactly. sure, right? My, like, my, see, and, my and guys I Pierce. have nothing wrong with double checking my, my equipment. Guy, my, right? my guys pierce all the wires. Yeah, great. They don't, they don't dick around with back probing. Yeah. Hey, listen, but you know what back, happens? Let me tell you something. You know what happens if you pierce wires here? They turn black and fall off in a couple of months. <laughs> up, up here, <laughs> so, you still you got to seal them afterwards. But you know, well, of course, and you've got to get the, the good piercers. The good piercers Let, have a teeny tiny little and, spike. and look, I have we have got good piercers, and I have no problem with piercing the wire. And yes, you can definitely seal them. I I prefer to back probe where I can, dude. But I've messed is, up so many connectors back probe. You all hate me. I, I don't even pierce them. I cut the wire right off. 
and I put the jumper to it, <laughs> and then I repair it after the fact. No, because if I cut it off, hey, I know I have to repair it. What are you talking about? What? So a hey, PCM I, I, harness? A PCM harness? What? Hey, You're cutting will, the wire on the PCM harness. I will at random cut things that are that I I have a very specific reason for. Like I've got a weird voltage on a wire, and I want to know for sure that it's not shorted somewhere. Like, is that coming from the PCM mm-hmm. or not? Um, things like that. I'll do that. Now here's, here's what I'm getting at though. Right. Like that eight channel scope. Great. If, if I'm talking about a low current circuit, I will grab either a, a load harness or I'll grab the load pro with a voltmeter and I will pull that harness apart and I'll boom, boom, boom. Right. Like David, let me ask you what, what does a, what does a conventional map sensor need? Like what? What does? What are the wires on a conventional map sensor? Power ground signal. Right. Okay. How long does it take me to check that sensor? Thirty seconds. Right. Yeah. Takes me thirty seconds. I don't need a lab scope. I. I. Ninety percent of what I see in my shop is not voltage drop situations. Right. Like I, I'll do voltage drop really? testing all day yeah. long. But it, it, the thing is, is that's not what's causing the problem, right? Like, I, it's as simple as going back to the sensor, right? Like, if I've got if I've got a signal wire and it's got zero volts on it, I go back and I unplug it. If it's a Chrysler, it's going to five volts. I got bias voltage on it, right? Like, boom, when I unplug it, if it goes to five volts, I know signal's good. I check power, I check ground. Guess what? If, if I've got power, I've got ground, and it's pulling to zero volts and it doesn't change, what do I have? I have a bad sensor. I'm done. Right? It yeah, took me 30 great. seconds. That's great on three wire sensors. But now that's gone. Now, now you don't have three wire sensors. You have a module and it has seven wires going into mm-hmm. it. Yeah, absolutely. I, still, I, I, I have I, no problem with doing a voltage drop test to verify my powers and grounds on a module are good. I have no issue with that. Boom, boom, boom. Fire it up. Get it to recreate the symptom. Look, all my voltages are good. Boom. Call it good. Let's call, let's throw a module on it, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm cool with that. No problem. That's all I'm saying. Is that, that's, that's what but we're that, running How into. many times is that? That's right? all the time. That's all I deal with. So you want, That's all I deal you with. Hear, I think you've got a technician problem, bro. <laughs> yeah, they they figured out that I'm they get they, they figured out that they can spend two hours diagnosing it, and they come back and go, "Look at David. Look at this awesome thing." And David goes, "That's awesome. I love that that tool. Yeah, exactly. That tool. <laughs> that tool. We're this, getting look at this great capture. We're, we're getting it's such like, a oh, okay. great turnaround how, investment. How much on this time tool. did you spend? Yeah. yeah. Meanwhile, the guy's got how a test. Did you spend on that? Meanwhile, he's got oh, a Tesla. Yeah, Tesla hanging out of his pocket that he found it in twenty minutes. He just sat there. Exactly. Five seconds later, he already has the answer, but he's really just sitting in the car. He hit on the blower motor with a hammer and it started on and then he started taking <laughs> scope captures for the next two hours what, what are i looking at in the car yeah i didn't say lower motor he hit it with a hammer i just know your technicians yeah. uh it's not even your technicians it's all technicians that's just sometimes the nature of what you know you can fall you can fall in love with the diagnostic process i i'm one of the first ones that like when i see something cool i call everybody and go over hey look at this right I'd call the yeah, service advisor yeah. and I'd call the other techs, I'd, everybody. I was like a kid that had just got a new, you know, toy. This, let me, look at this. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. You got a car that comes in with an intermittent fault on, let's say, let, let's call it a map sensor, right? Car comes in with a map sensor code. Customer says, yeah, the car was running really rough, but it drives perfect now. Mm-hmm. You check good power, good ground, good signal. Do you replace the sensor or do you say, nope, got to duplicate the problem? Got to duplicate the problem. 
just because it has a map sensor fault doesn't mean the map sensor is bad. It can be the EGR stick and it can be uh cars don't have EGRs anymore, oh. dear. I, I'm saying like the the rest of the everything else looks okay. Right, but but his point is is that if if there is another fault, like a, in other words, if you have another system fault that could cause a intake vacuum problem. Uh, okay, or right? tuner runner valve sticking. Um, purge yeah, purge I mean, valve. It, okay, well, let's say maybe maybe uh, map sensor was a was a bad example. Maybe, let's let's say a crank sensor circuit malfunction. Uh, what is that? A three forty five or something like that? Three twenty. And an intermittent no no start condition. And it has a three twenty um, fault in it. So what am sure. I going to do? Uh, I'm going to go down to the crank sensor and get the engine hot and see if I wiggle the harness and see if it drops out. Um, if it's uh, hot and it won't crank, I'm going to take the water hose and I'm going to spray the sensor. And then when it kicks over again, I'm going to make that phone call to get a crank sensor in. Because that's like back in the day, I had 36 minutes to figure that out. So that's what I learned to do, right? You think that way. I don't, I never, so you got to remember so many but of now, us. Let's say the problem, let's say you can't duplicate the issue. Just hand it back to the customer. No, because I no, because that, here's the thing. When you're at the dealership, if you hand it back to the customer, and you, you're not getting paid. You're not getting paid. So you're going to try and so, so so hold up. Whoa, hold up. You you just you just absolutely define so much of what the problem mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Right. Because in in my shop, what what happens when we get there is there's three options given to the client. Mister Client, I cannot duplicate yep. your concern. Yep. We've got three options. You can take the vehicle and continue to drive it until it acts up, and your total today will be this. Mm-hmm. We could continue doing testing. I do not know. How much it will be? Right. We would start at X amount for an intermittent concern. If it if it happens within this amount, we'll give you a call and we'll let you know. But this means I have to have someone drive it with expensive test equipment on it until it duplicates. Or, Mister Client, your third option is we could replace that component. We have no idea if that's the cause of the concern. There is a code for it. It is your option. Here are your three options. I'm happy to to do what you want because I'm serving you. Yep. But I'm telling you now, this may not fix your problem. If you keep driving it, it's going to happen again, or we can do the testing required to make it happen. The fact that you're telling me that dealerships are saying, I'm not paying you, Mr. Technician, if you don't come up with something. No wonder the freaking public hates us. Exactly. Because it means that we're we're yeah. shipping cars. I'm not with framing guesses. it that though. Well, well, hold on. It's not a guess. Like my my argument is that computer is going to pick up a glitch at that particular moment. <laughs> much faster than than you're going to catching it in a controlled environment inside your bay and if everything is checking out okay i'm going to come back to the customer and say it or give them those three options lucas but i'm not going to frame it that way okay how are you going to frame it i'm going to frame it that your best bet if you don't want to if you want to take it and bring it back when it does it great I don't think I'm even giving them the option. Of, we'll just keep testing it for forever because I've been down that road and it doesn't, it doesn't uh, end well for me. It ends up me eating a ton of diag time or the technician gets stuck on it for forever or it's, uh, listen, in my shop I for a said, month. dude, I said it extremely, extremely clearly that, that here is the deal. I may not be able to get this to duplicate. Do you know, I had a six O power stroke one time that had been at all these different shops, I explained very clearly until this truck acts up. And I, I want to say we had something like a $3,200 bill 
for a, a $175 or $200 repair. But the truck would not act up, and it had been to shop after shop after shop after shop. They had spent thousands of dollars on parts. Never fixed it. And he's like, dude, I don't care. I just want the damn truck to run. Right? Like, I, I want to be able to get in it and head to the beach and say that I'm going to be able to make it back. And I said, well, don't buy a 6 <laughs> Um, But <laughs> but that's different, know? though. That's a different situation. Like, But I, I'm just talking about the car was fine, and then it had this one problem, and then it comes in, and you're looking at it and saying, yeah, I mean, I don't want to leave the customer stranded. So I don't want to say that, hey. I understand that, but you, you it is your job to inform the client of what their options are. I will test it indefinitely. There's a cost for doing that. I can only go, I can only do what I can do. We could start here. If we go over that, it'll be more. And I can't promise you in that testing that we're going to be able to find it. Mr. Client, I want to give you all of your possible options. I want to help you make an informed decision. Would I do the testing? Mr. Client, in your case, about 90% of the time, it's this. We could try this. Mr. Client, we do not have enough evidence to make a decision. We should not do anything. You should drive it until it acts up and bring it back when it does. It may never act up again. Right? That's our job. We're advocates for our clients. That's what a service advisor does. He advises his client. I think I'm going to look at it depending on, on the symptoms. If it's a, the car shuts off on the interstate randomly. I'm going to be less inclined to say, yeah, take it back and bring it back when I can duplicate or when the car just doesn't start entirely. But okay, see, let me it ask you this. start means I get it towed in and then hopefully by the time it comes off the tow truck, it hasn't. Yeah, but you're, you are giving the car back with the possibility of it breaking down on the interstate. But if they don't want to pay for the, somebody. if they don't want to pay for additional time to test it and I don't own the car, then I'm going to go get in my Jeep and drive home at the end of the day. And I'm not going to worry a damn thing what? about it because it's not my car. I'm not invested in it. If they don't, what was, Tan- not what was car, it Tanika Brown but- said? What was it Tanika Brown said? My, my Sweetie, my car's out front and it runs just fine. <laughs> Amen to that, sister. That's not the same situation though. I there but, there but, is there is a there they are my customer. My shop's reputation is on the line. Your future employment here, Jeff, is on the line as well. Because if that customer doesn't come back or I get a bad reputation off this interaction, that's gonna mean fewer cars for you and I can't pay you and have to fire you. So it is very much important for us to make a good decision for this customer and all i'm saying is that if i the symptoms are there that would tell me that this sensor is intermittently failing and we just didn't catch it in the 45 minutes to hour and a half that we have it in the shop but everything else look there's no oil on it how we got good power grounds and we checked it here there and whatever i'm going to advise the customer look i cannot guarantee you that this will 100 fix your car but the computer caught something at some I'm point. I'm 100% on board with you on that. If it's got a stored crank sensor fault, but it hasn't stalled in two weeks, and she's worried about it two weeks later, I'm going to give her the option that we can install an OE crank sensor in because it's this type of car. They're a known problem. There's probably four of them on the shelf of the dealership. Let's put it in. But I'm not going to shake your hand and promise you, my firstborn child, that it's going to fix the car. Yeah. Right. Because I can't. And, and, and you got to oh, document the crap out of that on the repair order. I mean, yes. it's got to say it all over. You have to use yeah. the word, and everybody doesn't like to because it's got a bad negative connotation to it. But you have to make it very clear to them that for all intents and purposes, what you're doing is guessing. 
And that sucks yeah. because it's got a bad reputation within the industry. Where, that you're where's getting, the? But you have. Where's to, the that's line? That's not at? a guess. Hold on, that's not a guess. Why is it not though, Dave? That's not yes, a guess. It's, it's a guess. Not a, it is not a guess. It's a guess. You guess. Have evidence. David, you did. You have evidence, oh, David. You know how many times I've seen Dodge's flag a three twenty fault for a crank sensor when they had a misfire and there was nothing fucking wrong hey, dude, with the crank sensor. You, do you know how many? Si- oh. Do you know how many six O power strokes have back had in nineteen cam Dick- sensors yeah. replaced because somebody went to pull out and stalled the truck? And they're like, hey, dude, yeah. it's got cranking cam sensors. I bet that's yeah. why it doesn't start. Well, you didn't look what, at high what? pressure oil. You didn't look at yeah. fuel pressure. Oh, diesels right. are, are freaks of nature. That's a completely <laughs> different situation. Yeah, hey, do, and, yeah, Jeff, do you know great. what this is? Uh, hold on. Hold do you on, know what on. this is, Jeff? No, 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 no. Hang on, Jeff. Do you know what this is? This is David justifying what he did today. And he's hoping that no, no, no. My, tech, my technicians argue with me because they're like, we're guessing and i'm like no it's not a guess we have evidence it's an educated we have guess. evidence well you got it's an educated got, guess fine let's call no, it an educated guess you, we're just parsing you really words don't have an evidence we're arguing semantics you really don't i do have evidence no. i've got a code you've got a code and i've got a symptom got a, i've got i've got problems the car is not perfect and i've got a code and i know the system well enough to say that when this part fails this is what it does well i got ice so cream and a banana based in on the that fridge, but i don't have an ice cream sundae because <laughs> i ain't got no chocolate syrup you know what i mean you don't know what i mean you have a code <laughs> and a symptom and if you diagnose every car and base it on that i'm sorry you're gonna make mistakes you're gonna be wrong and there's nothing wrong with being wrong where none of us are perfect but i don't base it on yeah i've got a code and a symptom and i guarantee 1000 percent that it's definitely going to fix the car i want to help the customer out and i feel I, well, no no you're taking you're you're taking my argument you're making one extra step i at no point tell the customer that i'm guaranteeing the repair okay. well, i'm not telling them that 100 percent that this is going to fix the problem you just said you were going to fire at the your same time the car comes back <laughs> absolutely not but i will have a problem giving back the car to the customer knowing that it's got an intermittent stall and not doing something that seventy percent of the time fixes right. the, the car. But Look, this—that's how these D- D- David these wouldn't chains... even fi- David wouldn't even fire his text for eating potato chips in his wife's bed. I mean, like he loves these dudes. But I mean, I, 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 I don't. Um, you know, I don't. I can't even remember what I was what I was going to say. I don't. That's because it was going to be wrong. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that. I, I'm going to tell the customer that hey, we cannot guarantee that this is going to repair the vehicle. But Where, where's we have the line? Some, though, where's the, the line? The line, the line, the line let's, line let's say it's a brake system. It, it, let's say it's a brake system problem, and the client says, "Hey, occasionally I'm driving this thing, and the brakes feel a little bit soft. Do you send it down the road?" I mean, we you watched um, that video earlier, right? The the was it a was it a it wasn't a Malibu? What was that? That classic car? Yeah. Right, you sent you send that car that? out. The, it, well, he had been riding the brakes. It had moisture in the brake system because the car had been sitting. They did the brakes oh. last fifteen years ago. I vote that it had moisture in the brake system. Yeah. He'd been riding the brakes to keep the car slow. And well, he no, got the I mean, hot. in that situation, you're going to talk to the customer, and say, "Let's do the maintenance," or you road test with I, the customer. But yeah, I mean, but like here, the, here's these, the thing: these what if brakes you failed entirely. Like <laughs> he lost if, all what brakes. If, in in the same respect, if you can't duplicate it, how do you fix it? How do you know that that master cylinder is not going internally and you change the fluid? Now you were the last one to work on it. This dude here locally in town, remember I told you about that, that he, he wrote on the repair order, fix brakes, 
right? And and now he's in a world of mess because he fixed the brakes and the brakes failed later down the line and he didn't put on there. I couldn't see all the brake lines. Right now, I mean, how, how do you how do you counter those situations? And I, I think the only way that you counter those and, and you truly do what's best for your client is you give them the decision. Right. If you want to if you want to reduce liability, if you want to reduce reputation, how damage, is that? How is that reducing liability, though? Because they're just going to come back and say you were the expert. I, you should have told, and I, I specifically told them that we we don't know what happens if you do this. Right, <laughs> this is you're taking this choice at your own risk. There's no way I can determine if it, you know. And obviously, in a brake system, we're going to work really hard to duplicate yeah. it. But I'm saying if there's something that you know, hey, hey, I, you know, I smell gas from time to time. Right. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I was unable to duplicate that. We do not recommend you take it. We recommend we do more testing until until we're able to duplicate the concern. Here's the cost for doing testing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not even going to recommend at that point taking the vehicle and trying to drive it yourself till it acts up because I don't know what's wrong. Yeah. You know, it's it's That's what I'm saying. It's, like, I, I think it's a it's a it, you have to be very intentional about the path that you're trying to lead the customer down. It's not, there isn't, for example, with brakes, something mechanical, I don't know. For me, that'd be difficult for me to just give back to the customer because it's mechanical in nature. And if it's mechanical in nature, I should be able to duplicate it. I had one. So I'm either don't have it in the right conditions or is there something up with it? And you know what? If I did the brake fluid service and the master cylinder failed and we tried to pull it out and it has no pedal, I'd gleefully call the customer up and say, hey, we found your problem. It's got a blown out master cylinder. Good thing we did the brake fluid service because we wouldn't have caught it otherwise. They're going to know. I uh, I had one last week. Where what are you? Who was that? Who was that? Was that Lucas? It's not me. <laughs> yeah, it's been a smart um, I had one last week, a 2011 GMC Terrain, so a Chevy Equinox. Uh, customers can complaining about a noise. This is an old gentleman. He's a regular customer of ours. I've driven this car three times. And he says, it won't always do it. I can't get it to act up. Not all the time. So I drive it twice. And I mean, it comes in and it's like, he's there always 7 a.m. in the morning. He's got 10 minutes for me to drive it before he either has to get in one of our loaners or he has to drive to his job to go to work. So I get in and drive it three times with him on three different occasions. We've done the rear brakes on this thing, but we've never touched the front brakes because that breaks fine. There's lots of material. Pads are good. Rotors are good. Blah, blah, blah. Finally, he comes in last Friday and he says, it's making a noise again. Okay. Leave it with me. It took me 25 minutes of driving it before I could get enough heat in the front brakes of his car for the rotors that we have never installed to finally act up and make some noise. So it took me longer to duplicate his complaint then it does really to change the parts out. But there was no visual indication that there was anything wrong with his front brake rotors at all. This is a gentleman that is 76 years old. He carries an account with us. He's a former employee of ours. So funds are tight, right? So we don't, it's not about the time or the money at that point. It's just, we don't want to put rotors on this car because we don't, we've never done them. You know what I mean? Like we, we try to avoid those kind of scenarios. So sometimes it does happen that you spend. Yeah, but that's a noise. I I, I wouldn't put a noise. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a braking same... complaint. I thought we were talking about brakes. I'm sorry. 
It, there's different types of braking complaints. Well, hey, I'm losing the pedal and I lose control of the vehicle and I can't stop. I, I don't feel safe driving this vehicle versus, hey, I hear a squeal so at certain speeds. So I had a Dodge 3500 that we chased a brake problem on. Um, and it was, so it's a fleet truck, heavily overloaded. Um, ended up when it got to us, there was no brakes left to speak of. I mean, it needed four calipers, pads front and rear. The big, it's a 3,500. It needs the big brake rotors all the way around the whole thing. We get it all done. We give it back to the guy. I drive the truck 50 kilometers. It's perfect. Give it back to the guy. He comes back two days later and he says, the brakes are smoking hot again. I get in a, can't believe it, right? I get one wheel to get hot. Not hot, hot, but hotter than the rest. So it's a flex line. Not uncommon on a Dodge truck. I put the flex line on. Drive it for another 60 kilometers. It's fine. 60 kilometers for you is like 35 miles, David. So, uh, <laughs> but a good road test, right? Pretty good road test. Stop and go traffic the whole thing. Bring it back. Give it to the guy. He drives it two doors. Two days more, he comes back. He says, it's doing the same thing. It's smoking hot when I get to the a stop sign. Finally, we go for a drive with the guy. He's driving this 3500 dump truck Dodge like it's a Mustang in town in traffic. He is waiting to the last possible minute to climb on the brake with both feet, right, and stop it. There's nothing wrong with it at that point. It's a situation of they've got the wrong driver in the wrong truck. How do you spend and a lot for time for these kind of scenarios? You can't. It's a no win, right? Oh, hold on. Is this, it's, is this the same guy that was driving the truck before and it wasn't doing it before? Well, he obviously, you could tell by the way he drove the truck that that's why there was no brakes left, but it becomes an ever wow. since scenario, right? Because it's still doing yeah. the same thing. You touched The it, original sure. brakes didn't last only 65,000 because the driver that they hired. Now, again, I'm in a fleet shop. We hire the, they hire the cheapest guys that can hold a steering wheel they can find. So he has no concept of last week he used to drive a minivan delivering auto parts. And this week he's driving a 3,500 with a dump bed on the back, right? He has no concept of the difference of giving yourself extra time to stop. My point is, is that I can drive it sometimes to infinity and beyond and not duplicate the- To infinity and beyond. To to try and duplicate the customer's complaint because- What was that? Are you okay? Because the customer is the defective, uh, defective variable in this, you know, endeavor. Loose nut behind the wheel, we've all heard that, right? Sometimes that's a true thing. So when I have a something that I can't duplicate, I don't promise them the world. I don't, I just say, like, what do you want me to do? It's very much that. You have to say, what do you want me to do? And they go, well, I want you to fix the car. Okay, let's, let's start talking turkey then. How much do you want to invest in this repair? That's another quotient that I think sometimes too many in this, in this industry screw it right up, right? Because it's like, well, talk about Diag again. Customer comes in, has got a misfire, rough idle, whatever you look at it. Oh, these things are known for valves. These things are known for this. You can run through it really quick and prove that it's not fuel, electrical, uh, you know, ignition. And at that point, you call them up and go, hey, guess what? Just like your buddy that has the same car and he had to do this, yours is going to need that too because it's all pointed to that. Do you want to go any farther? And he goes, no, thank you. At that point, I don't give a shit. If it's got a burnt valve or a broken ring, I could care. He doesn't want to invest X amount of dollars in repairing it, and I'm on to the next car. That's what we sometimes we get in love with the idea of, I got to know. 
Yeah, like, you gotta, you have to have the answer, yeah. and you're just absolutely committed to finding. The I was that tech ten years didn't. ago. I'm not that tech now. What tech are you now? I'm that tech right now that it's like I need to see uh, a way to transition out um, in terms of because I my body's not going to keep doing this for much longer. I can barely hold a coffee cup in my right hand, right? So what's that look like? I mean, what, what, what's your vision? What's your dream? Well, so the dream is, is to something where I can be in a guiding role, either guiding the customers to, you know, um, having the most successful, uh, experience at my, wherever I'm working or guiding the next generation of techs that's working wherever I'm working into try and steer them to better workplace practices. That's like the young lad that I've, I've got, work with me now it you know it's he's I didn't think at this point in my career I'd be still mentoring the next ones coming in but it's it's different now to mentor him than it was the last one I mentored eight years ago because they learn different they you talk to them different they talk back to you different it's it's very different and it's and it's a learning curve again of me okay so and each individual is different but how do you approach this dynamic right so um my good friend that i i took a friend's car i referred them to his shop and uh while i was picking the driving her to pick up the car from his shop i explained to her what was done and why and all that kind of stuff because i was not working at the time so what she needed a front end on her nissan i wasn't at the facilities to be able to do it anyway he says to me months later um, you need to become a service advisor in the future. You need to be, because he said like the way you handled that with her was better than most people I've ever had work for me in that role. So just, well, so, so let me ask you this from, from the Jeff we talked to a year ago, right. who was absolutely done with this industry, <laughs> like ready to burn her to the ground. Right. What changed? What what he transferred it to me. I'm ready to burn it to the ground. Well, no, Let's what changes I got I managed to We're going back to horses. I managed to gain horses for everybody. Well <laughs> not everybody. Um <laughs> Jeff just bought a Jeep. He's yeah. gonna be paying for it for years. I got there's no I got horses five years to go. So Jeeps are gonna be illegal here soon. Well, well. We gotta consider our ESG scores. Um so I think for me it's a situation of like when I'm jaded, it's because the job is not working for me. When okay. I start to make the job work for me, then I can tolerate the job. And, you know, I was jaded because of the fact that, again, we talk about this all the time. Um, it's always the tech that is, takes the short end of when this industry has to make a change. It's always the tech. And I, and right. I just, just, it will never sit well with me. Right. And I understand that it's probably a losing battle. And all I ever, when I, when I'm done all this, when I'm, when I'm out of this industry, whenever that may be, all I want people to say about me is that he advocated for the tech. He didn't advocate for first and foremost, for owners to make more money. He advocated for the tech to have better pay, better working conditions, better opportunities, better respect, better image. That's it. You know, I'm not out to the, every shop owner out there is not my enemy. It's not a me against them, but it's a situation, you know, 
Lucas, you and I talked about the other day about walking around money, right? The difference between what yeah. one has and one doesn't. And I just want to see that it come a little closer together. That's it. I don't, I don't know tech out there. If you think you're going to become a millionaire being a tech, you're not. Most shop owners out there, you think you're going to become a millionaire being a shop owner. You're not. But I want to see that everybody start to make more money. And in order for that to change, we have to address the fact that, A, there's a really bad tech shortage right now. It's not a, it's what they've been telling us is going to happen for 20 years. It's fucking here. So, and then how do you want to navigate that from here? Well, like I said last time, if you got a good one and he wants to leave, you better get your fucking wallet out and you better make him stay. It's as simple as that. That is the immediate fix. Right. Don't let him go to somebody else where he'll make more money and you now have to go find someone. Because before, when you used to find somebody, but it wasn't really what you wanted, but you can get it. You can't even get what you don't want right now. So so let me ask you, though, it seems like there was a shift. What changed? Right. Because you you were you were not for telling people that that, hey, this is a good industry to be in. Something changed. What changed? Pump the brakes. I'm still not saying that this is if you have certain aptitudes and you certain you get off on certain doing certain things for a job that this is the maybe everybody's first choice you i've said it before you've got to be slightly sick in the head to pick this like it has to be a compulsion we have you have to be right you have to love you have it. to love it. it it was back in the old days you had to be a gearhead right you just had to you wanted to hang out at the drag strip on saturday and sunday you just wanted to work on cars that made you that made you tick right that turned your crank now this this shit's boring like these cars like you're working on minivans you're working on you know subcompacts you're working on stuff that's not that same you know that we all fell in love with there's no passion american graffiti the the passion for that doesn't exist right it was the last turn was fast and the furious and the lifted trucks and all that it's it's gone we're we're into basic transportation now and how do you fix it so we're getting a different type of person that's coming into the industry and you have to see that if that passion isn't there the way our previous generation were, was, where it was like, listen, I just enjoy these things and that's why I work on them. I don't enjoy cars anymore. Honestly, I don't. None of them impress me anymore. It's not about whether they impress me or not. It's just the more that they impress me, the more out of reach it becomes. So I think if you want to see some of that passion come back, you have to get these people that are fixing this stuff closer to the salary that they can afford to actually buy it. Well, you know, you, you say that now. Time out. <laughs> Hold on. Hold oh, on. here we go. You're saying that if somebody is impressed by a Ferrari, I have somehow have to f- pay them enough to to go buy a Ferrari. I've got a technician that works for me that the only thing that impresses them is 1,500 horsepower LSs. And anything less than that, it needs an LS swap or it's a <laughs> pile of garbage. Right. And I, all I'm saying is that's absurd. That's absolutely. Can he afford one? Yeah, he could probably afford one, but whatever. Like, it's not prudent to spend your money putting together 1500 horsepower LS. I, I think that's an idiotic expenditure of money in almost every situation. Well, what about, well, You've got to have stupid money let's, to to want to dump your money into that and, and be happy with so it. So let's put it this that's scenario absurd. right now where it's the, it could be at the top of the line tech at the Chrysler dealer right now, the local Dodge Jeep dealer, and he may want to buy a brand new the Rubicon Gladiator that's out with the Hemi. The list on this right now is $150,000, right? 
It's, that's you, that's an absurd amount of it, money to spend on a vehicle I'm for not, almost everybody in the whole wide not world. Not going to disagree with that at all. But say, for okay, instance, then. that that is his passion. That's why he just loves that shit, right? That's what he wants. How come it's so far out of reach for what he earns, and what we st- still expect him to have passion then for what it is they're doing all day long, right? Like it's. It, I'd like to see that the, the money start. If he can't own it, it would make sense that he would want to work on it. No. But it, who uh, says no, he can't it own no. it? Like, go Horseshit. go buy a three-year-old one. Just wait for them to get three years old and go b- pick one up at a 40% discount. So it's like the first-generation Vipers are finally now into the price range of where some of the techs can actually afford them. Is that what you're saying? No, second gens. I don't know, first gens, whatever. Like, you can pick up a second gen for $30,000. <laughs> I jump on it. If you want to spend $30,000 on a junk vehicle that gets three miles to the gallon and, and you can't drive, but on the weekends, like go nuts. If that's what you want to do, I'm going to tell my technician that's absurd. All right. You should invest your money. What I, you should put your money into a rental unit. I'm, you should put your money into things that will make you money. But, it is stupid to spend your money on a Viper. But what I'm saying is, is that the passion that the previous generations had for working on a car was because of what the car it meant to them. And what it represented. Now cars are mundane. They're they're mobile washing machines. They're they're disposable appliances, as my friend Matt likes I, to call them. So that, the, the, that's because you're looking at it from a very jaded viewpoint. Well, I think cars are marvels now. I hate every car on the road. I'm just telling you right now, there's nothing impressive to me ever. Old cars, new cars, in between, doesn't matter. They're all garbage. They're all piles. Uh, Mario Rojas was talking about the only thing that that impressed him was a Rolls Royce because that's how far he's gone. Like He thinks they're all junk other than a Rolls Royce. Those are at least cool to him. I think they're all junk. If I were looked at Rolls Royce, man, this thing is just not worth it. It's stupid to buy this kind of mo- or spend this kind of money on a vehicle. So they're all junk to me. However, these cars drive themselves. Right. That should be impressive. They drive themselves. That's nuts. If they weren't driving themselves five years ago, they're driving themselves now. So what is that's insane? So to me. here's the great thing that goes back to why I think I'll never take an ADOS training course and don't need to is because ADOS for me is like a lot of. What I see it will become is that it will be fixed when it's under warranty or insurance is paying for it. And as soon as it's on the customer's dime, they will not fix it. And I always want to be working on the stuff on the car that the customer is going to. Here's You've got it all wrong, oh, Jeff. I, the, I have to fix your AC. Do you want AC? Uh-huh. I got to take your bumper off. For me to take your bumper off, I've got to recalibrate the right. system. Oh, by the way, you've been driving around with a jacked up whatever in there, or I find out that the sensor's bad or whatever, there's something screwed up in the windshield, you put the wrong glass right. in or whatever, yeah. and now for me to properly fix your AC, I've got to do all this other stuff but to it. Then, That's what it's going to turn but into. But they're not going to For me to do it. just basic, no, they're not going oh, to go without AC, no. are you kidding no. me? I don't think so. I think go- they are going to fix the they'll AC. Look, the I've car. got little old ladies coming they'll in here. Trade the car. They were going to trade their cars, but this is a different world now, dear. The yeah. cars are forty and fifty percent more expensive than they were just a few years ago. Yeah, when cars were cheap, now they're not. So they think are they're, wildly expensive. So I think they're- Even used piles of crap are selling for way too much money. So- that's a ten thousand dollar truck. Oops, no, that's a twenty five thousand yeah. dollar truck. Who in the hell is spending $25,000 on a 150,000-mile Tahoe? People are spending $25,000 on a Tahoe with 150,000 miles. That's insane to me. But whatever, people are spending the money. 
some people. Other people are going, you know what? I'm going to drop the three grand on fixing that. And that includes knowing how to fix and service the ADOS system properly. For doing regular mundane stuff, you have to know ADOS. You have to know it. To do alignments on some cars, you have to know ADOS. So the idea that you can get around it, you have to completely get that out of your head. I'm just saying that you, yeah, they they have to have a certain level of passion. They need to just be excited by technology. Now, they don't need to be gearheads because at the end of the day, that's what it ended up being. That like, was cool to get a lot of horsepower out of a little car. For me, I was very much that Fast and Furious guy. I wanted to get a lot of horsepower out of my little Honda Civic that still got. Uh, no, you know what? I have learned so much. I, I was just going to say because he's that, he's got the Vin Diesel haircut, right? But that's about it. Yeah, yeah. he does. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I never, I didn't like the movies. Oh. I had a buddy of mine who loved it. He went to, he like kept going back to watch. I was never into the movies. I was very much into the cars, though. The cars were cool, and the the movies a joke because if you're into the car and you know like some of the brands and stuff like that, that some of the verbiage that they were throwing out there, you're like, oh yeah, that's not accurate. Yeah. This is stupid. Yeah. Anyway. So I, I was always, always turned off by the movies, but I just, like, I, at the end of the day, you were into the technology I, behind it. And that's I, my point on, is like, on. now the technology, the attraction to it is I can now repair this circuit board by tapping into it, hacking it and getting it to read. Let's go Brandon on the, the odometer. Mm. That's cool. <laughs> did you see Mario do that? No, I did yeah. not. Yeah, Mario cool. Rojas has got this setup. It looks like a laboratory. He's got the scope and the the zoomy thing, and he's got he's desoldering the circuit boards. Thing. Got I don't even know, but I'm just saying that 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 is impressive. The kids and to a, me, the kids who hates cars. I shouldn't call him a kid. I hate cars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we might be the you, but I'm saying like, or and me too. But like, it that's impressive to me, and I hate cars, but that is cool because there's a level of sophistication and understanding of the technology behind it. Like but, now but you're repairing on, circuit hey, boards. Here's the thing though, is, is that then you look at, look, I, I, I hate to call out a group by name, but, but let's look at mechanic Alliance, right? There, there was a discussion in there. Is. Just, there was a discussion in there just the other day where they were discussing, you know, Hey, tech should be paid better, blah, 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 blah. And somebody comes in and is like, well, you know, the shops, they're really ripping people off. My, my father-in-law went in and and they wanted $800 to do his brakes. I did that on the side for $400. I was just trying to, trying to make sure he didn't get ripped off. But then in a post 15 minutes later, he's saying, wait a minute. Why am I not being paid like I yeah, should why be? Why is there not enough cars right? coming in? Because, like, you know, I only do a few well, side and, jobs. And, and, well, and I mean, here's the thing is those side jobs devalue the the – technicians who are doing the yeah. things like what Mario's yeah. doing. Yeah. Right? They the the consumer looks at that. This guy's out here telling them all kinds of stuff. And and you know, it's never, it's never the good technician who's doing the side work. It's never nope. the good technician who's who's out here doing this crazy stuff and telling clients crazy stuff. It's the young did, did you just say that every technician doing side work is a hack? No, I didn't say every technician doing side work. I'm just saying it's not your super skilled technician that is like your Mario or your Jeff or your Brian. It sounds to me like you're saying that. No, he's saying that if you're good enough in your job, you can make enough money from Monday to Friday that you don't have to work Saturday, Sunday, and weeknights to make. And you're having to do side work. You're a hack. (laughs) You've been you. And the other thing is, is that you've done it to the point that you realize there's a reason that, that it needs to be done in the shop, not in your garage. 
right? Not on the side. And, and so it's just like every single time we've got a lot of DIY guys who have turned into mobile mechanics in my area. Mm. And they're like, man, I'll tell you what they're ripping you off. That's right. I went, I like, went down to AutoZone. I bought them same parts for a hundred bucks. I put them on. I was 50 bucks. I was there and gone in an hour. I see that the one yep. guy on TikTok all the time. And I, I, I don't even follow him because everything I saw was the hackiest brutalist like but, but, drives into zone right and you puts the customer supply parts but, on and to him his comment section is blowing up with people going you're going you hustle dude you get that money man and i'm looking at it going this is oh who who, who is this i don't I, i'll david i'll find you the uh i'll find the video on tiktok and i'll send yeah. it to you i can't remember his name but i don't i'm not on tiktok oh. well i mean it's so I, I made a comment I'll, I'll, I'll check it out i, I made a comment in mechanic alliance about it i was like i i really can't believe that we're continuing a discussion like this in a group that's supposedly trying to improve the industry and everybody's like well it's because the shops are ripping the the tech and the client off no you don't understand the financials the business has to make more money the the for for techs to earn more money the shops have to charge more yeah. money the it's simple yeah. simple economics right there's no other way yeah. around it you're not going to get a, this is going to sound shitty you're not going to get the owners to take less money to pay the tax more so the shops have to charge more to pay more ain't no dude, shop there's a lot owners of, there's a lot of no, owners who aren't getting paid bro well, I shop get owners it. aren't getting paid dude we were just talking yeah. about a guy making 1.4 million dollars top line revenue in his shop and he's not paying himself yeah. 1.4 million dollars you have any idea how, nothing. Pretty, how much work sounds you have to pump through a shop to do $1.4 million and you are not taking a paycheck. So it sounds like he, that's insane. Sounds like it's probably closer to, he could have made 2 million if he actually charged appropriately for what he's got coming through his shop. Right. Sounds like a real stick in the mud that doesn't want to learn the, to stop devaluing what he does and treat his people that work for him. Like that's the product that you're selling, not the, you know, fucking rancho shocks hanging well, but- on the front counter. But how how does it how does it happen though, Jeff? Let's think about this for a minute. How does it happen? How does it happen? Is right in my too much sympathy, but, but, too much sympathy, too much sympathy to, you're exactly to the customer right. that comes in. The you're door. exactly no, right. Not and, the and, customer. Too much sympathy to the. I got to pay my tax first. It's like okay. Well, he does because if he wants, if he has to want to have a product to sell, David, yes, he does have to pay his tax first. He I, could I, make I, more money if he fired everybody and just did all the work himself. If he can do the work so himself, why, why is he straight? Yeah, but the, you're making the assumption that he can't. You know what? Ninety nine percent of the time, they can. <laughs> what, why would they go through the? Why would? Oh, they, absolutely, shit. no, they can't. Absolutely, you're talking to like a sliver of a percentage of of technicians. Most technicians, most shop owners, were at some point techs. Yes, they were, and, and almost all of them are like, "Oh, I was an A tech back yeah. in my day." Bruh, bruh, bruh. Back That's in my how they day, all yeah. talk. Back in my day, I put six ball joints in of one truck, and I did it in an hour, and I was the shit. I was the number one guy, and then they went out and they start all talk, and like they that. went out and started point. a shop. And they got a check engine light on, and they got on Facebook, and they said, "Can somebody tell me, hey Chevy guys, what causes P three hundred in a Chevy pickup truck?" <laughs> and some asshole, I'll watch me put my hand up, says, "Gee, what do you think causes it? What did you do?" Blah blah blah. You're an asshole. You're not trying to help anybody in the industry. I never claimed to be. Yep. Oh, yeah. I, dude. I, hey, so listen, no, David. Exact- not every tech out there that became a shop owner can still fix the cars because just as this technology that you're in love with came along and changed the game up they're not 
up to date. They're not able to go out into the bay. So here's the really unpopular thing you're going to hear Jeff say. But right? the problem is these sh- these shop owners are making zero. Well, that's what they should so because it doesn't if they take can't, much of anything. If they can't go out into the bay and do what the tech that does for them does, then guess what? You're not the same. It is different roles. And just because he could fix the car and you can't, doesn't. But you're saying that that shop owner is taking the paycheck first and he's screwing over the technician. And that, all it, I'm it's telling rarely you is that. that. It is and rarely I, yeah, that. And I'm saying that that shop owner is bending over backwards to make sure that technician is getting their paycheck. So As that he should, so that he can open his doors family. the next day, right? Because if, But I'm saying that you're making zero. So why do you care about working your ass off to make sure the technician can eat? Meanwhile, you're not feeding yourself. Because Screw that technician. Fire him. And even if you make a dollar, you can make a dollar doing oil changes. Even if they, the guy's in completely incompetent, he can do breaks and oil changes. And you know what? You're going to end up making more than busting your ass just to make sure you feed the technician. That's all I'm saying. So there must be, it doesn't make any there sense. There must be some awesome tax loopholes then for the reason of these guys are not paying themselves while they stay keep a business open. Must be right. They're living on whatever. No, absolutely age. not, dude. It is a it is a daily grind to have money coming in, paying the bills out, money coming in, paying the bills out every day, day in and day out, making sure the paychecks are there, and then at the end of the week, you look at it and go, "Well, what's left over for me?" Well, nothing. Oh, okay. Well, maybe next. And, week. and that is that is ignorance on the shop owner's part. It is one hundred percent. At the end of the day, so I've also but they're not cutting the technician short. That's all I'm but saying. I, they're not so cutting the technician if he short. fires the technician tomorrow, the technician walks out the door with his tools. If he fires the technician tomorrow, the technician walks out with his tools. He puts the place up for sale. Whatever he sells it for is money back in his pocket. Maybe it doesn't clear. Dude, what do you think he's going to sell it for? They don't sell for anything. The shops don't sell for for any revenues. I mean, unless he owns the property. There was a shop owner in in ASOG. That poor lady bought, she thought it was an investment. She bought that, the business, at two and a half times earnings. Two and a half times earnings. That's what she, like, she took out an SBA loan. I think she paid over a million dollars or close to a million dollars for this business because the numbers were, the, the books were cooked. Okay. They made sure that that earnings number was as high as possible. Mm. That guy bounced. Mm. Okay. Now she's trying to turn around and get rid of the business because that's not the business she wants to be in. She's much more successful in everything else she's doing. And she's looking at the business and they're telling her one and a half. Well, what changed? Absolutely nothing. One and a half is probably more accurate. And that's what you should have paid. She got screwed. But I'm saying like, that's what ends up happening is they, they go to sell the business and they're like, do you own the property? No. Okay, the business is worth uh, ten cents on the dollar for the equipment, mm-hmm. and five thousand bucks for your customer yep. list. Yeah, congrats. Right. I mean, you you walk away with fifteen thousand bucks. Yeah, right. The business itself is not worth anything, especially if you're running it in that that right. sense. Which is what if you're operating yeah. that which way. Which is why and and the which is why I have no patience but, but see, anymore it, for 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 owners that aren't changing the way because i hear i hear the tech shortage and i hear them lament and bitch and complain about the tech aptitude but the reality is is that like you're you get out you get back what you put out right if you if you're operating where you you can't get the best and you can't charge for the best and you can't sell the best then it's time to cut the mustard man what are you going to do right like it's the we're done talking about what the future is we're in the future now we're in it right now. Yeah, I don't and, disagree and they, with you. So I don't disagree. Get, but but so but just like I said to Brian, 
right? When I was talking to Brian the other day, and me and you have had this conversation too, like, well, we got to fix the industry. We got to stop this. It, we, we've got to do something different. We are the industry. Yeah, we are. Right? Like, it's us that has to change. It's us that has to do something different. And, 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 you know, I think the technicians play a big role. And, and, you know, Brian said something really impactful earlier. He said, you know, I'm realizing more and more, there's a whole lot more technicians than there are owners. Mm -hmm. And that, that has to stand to reason that as technicians, we play a part in the problems that we have. And then you go into that mechanic alliance group and thankfully they took the post down. I, I really appreciate them taking it down, but you go into that group and you see like five and six guys like, yeah, the shop I work for screwing people over. So I'm working on yeah. the side They you know, and, and, and they shouldn't be charging that much. And then in the same respect, all oh, you should be paying the tech half of the labor rate. And that's how, no, nah, dude, you got to understand the business financials, yeah. right? Yep. Yeah. Like, and, and we, we all have, I think we all have a duty to one another to understand the business we're in, understand the financials, of the business. Now, I listen, I said at lunch today, there's some guys from another profession sitting at a table next to me and I'm listening to them talk. They don't understand the business financials either. So I don't know that it's fair to expect techs to understand the business side of it. But in the same respect to that, they weren't sitting over there saying, oh man, I should be making half of what he charges an mm -hmm. hour. That, that wasn't no. the point. No. Right. And and the 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 labor rate, that margin needs to be what that margin needs to be for the business to be successful. Techs can still earn a wonderful living and can have a wonderful life and have anything they could ever want yeah. within reason if the shop is charging appropriately. Yeah. If the shop is charging shit labor rates and they're they're not making any money on parts, they cannot. No, they can't. But, I mean, we heard people talking IATN over 10 years ago about how if you were in an independent shop, you already should be charging more than what the dealership is. But if I was to Absolutely. go out and throw a rock around here, every independent here charges less than every local dealer. So that's been, in, that's been 15 years that we've heard people first talk about. And I, I can't remember if it was Albin Moore or one of the older gentlemen in the group that you know, it's been a long time since I've hung around in IATN, but I mean, I can remember them saying it then, and it was met with scoffs and bah, that's never going to work. Now we're at the place where it's like, well, we don't really have much choice, right? If we're choosing to work on everything that comes in the door, we need more training, more tooling than what the dealer does and has that only works on one. And yet we're too scared to charge for it because if I go to them and say my door rates $200 an hour and you want a set of brakes put on your Honda, they're going to lose that brake job to go over because they can get it done cheaper at the dealership. And it's just, they're not, they suck at being able to sell what it is that makes them different from the dealership. And it's not about Amen. ASEs Amen. hanging on the I wall. Agree a thousand it's, percent. it's about the difference in how you greet the customer, how you treat them, how the car looks when they pick it up, all that kind of stuff. Right. And they don't do it. And yep. they always excuse comes back to is I can't afford it. Well, nobody, and I'm speaking from the text point of view that now is, is accepting anymore that I can't afford it as the answer. We're not accepting it. There's a shortage because people won't get into the industry and they say, I can't afford to pay people. You're saying then I want you to come work here, but I can't afford to pay you what is a good wage to get into such a demanding industry that is telling them in a roundabout backhanded way i wish you'd come work for me but it's gonna suck and i can't afford to pay you what you could make to go into another trade and that sucks 
But it's not at this point. It's not the text to blame for leaving, and it's not the text to blame or the young people for choosing somebody else. Somebody said the young people that we hired today, they called them, I don't know what he called them, like idiots or something like that. Like what a shitty attitude to have about the young people yeah. that you hired today. That's they're this or that and the other thing. Are they the same as my generation? No, they are not. But they're all they're all hooked on weed. Well, it's terrible. But they're well, they're hooked on a lot <laughs> of stuff. And, weed and TikTok. Yeah. But <laughs> they're smart enough to see that it isn't all that it's cracked up to be, this industry. And that there may be, if you know, they've got that skill set where they're good with their hands and they like to take stuff apart and face the challenge, that there might be other places to go that are going to be at the end of it all better for them. And I that sucks because I love this industry and I want to see this industry improve. There's no, anybody that knows me knows that that's never been in question when you discuss who I am and what I'm about. But I'm done hearing that there's no money. I'm done hearing it. If there's no money, close your fucking door tomorrow and don't open up. Otherwise, if you, I, I can agree otherwise, with that. if you still, I, absolutely, otherwise, I if you're still open up, start making the change. We're done hearing the excuses, right? If you open up tomorrow, tomorrow is another day. Tomorrow is the day that you change. If you open up tomorrow and do things tomorrow exactly the way you did the same and still want to bitch and lament about it, go somewhere else and do that. We're done hearing it. The problem is immediately Amen. at your window. The problem is the shortage is right there in front. I can't take this Durango into the dealership because they can't look at it for three fucking months. Three months. So now we start telling people. They just don't want to work on it, dude. Well, I didn't. They don't want to work on it. But there's reality. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the ASOG podcast. Before I let you go, I need to ask you a question. Are you using the best innovative shop management system in the country? If you doubt that you are, why are you making your life harder? Shopware stays one step ahead of everyone else by bringing a clean, easy-to-use program unlike anything else on the market. Go to GetShopware.com and see what I mean today. That's GetShopware.com. Check it out. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.